Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. So a little precursor here. I uh, just wrapped up recording the uh, the podcast and uh, news broke. Uh, a couple of different news items for Ole Miss broke, so they're not addressed in the actual body of the podcast itself, so I will do it quickly here, and then you'll hear like another uh, intro uh, in the entire thing that I recorded after that. You'll hear me say that there's no news on the Ole Miss front, and guess what? That is absolutely not true. Lane Kiffin met with the media this morning, and uh, yeah, two things to get to on the Ole Miss front, and then I'll play the podcast where I look at the college football weekend and the NFL weekend Welcome into the Rebel Report. My name is Michael Borky. Thank you so much for making the podcast part of your day. You're probably going to hear this exact thing again here shortly. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. Here are your Ole Miss news items to get to before I play you the rest of the podcast. Number one, Dean Leonard has been cleared by the NCAA. That's the defensive back that transferred from uh, a school in Canada. Lane Kiffin has given him a lot of praise so far uh, in early camp. Said he's an NFL player. Uh, he's got the body of an NFL player, and he was going to have a big impact right away if cleared by the NCAA. He has been cleared, Kiffin said this morning. No word yet on Otis Reese. Um, I guess if they're giving Leonard his waiver, you would hope that uh, Otis Reese gets his at some point this week because we are in two weeks, inside of two weeks before the season opener. So uh, you would hope that he finds out because it taking this long is still. Um, just shameful. But anyway, uh, Dean Leonard cleared by the NCAA. Big news for the Ole Miss secondary. Uh, he was going to play a lot if he got cleared. Lane Kiffin's huge on his potential, and he does get cleared. That's news item number one for Ole Miss, and that is a big deal. Number two, which is also a big deal, and a credit to uh, Kiffin and, and to the, the players and the staff and the medical people at Ole Miss and the protocols in place, not a single positive test, according to Lane Kiffin. Not one in most recent round of testing. Zero positives for Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin said he's got a couple of guys uh, in quarantine and uh, said that other than that, they're almost all the way back. So, as long as this holds, you're going to have a completely cleared and ready-to-go team when Florida comes to town inside of two weeks. So that's a big deal for Ole Miss, obviously. It means what they're doing is working. means the protocol's in place are working. Shout out Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss and those players and uh, the medical people uh, because it is not too dangerous to play. It's not too dangerous. Uh, They can do it. So good on them. This news broke uh, right towards the end of the podcast as I was recording this, so I figured I'd uh, I'd just um, get to it at the beginning and uh, bring that to you now. So big news. Dean Leonard gets cleared. Ole Miss, no positives. Uh, And that's a big deal because if there was one, in this most recent round of testing, they would not have been able to play against Florida. The, the The quarantine period and stuff was going to be too long. They would not have been able to play. So no new additions to the quarantine list is a big deal. Uh, they should be able to find their way to the first game completely intact as a team. So a really big deal for Ole Miss. So you might hear me say that there's no uh, Ole Miss items later on or, or maybe even like mention this as it breaks in real time. But anyway, uh, so that is your Ole Miss News Dump. Now let's get to the rest of the podcast here. 
uh, talk a lot about the weekend that was in college football and the NFL and the Big Ten potentially voting to get back to the start of the season. So again, enjoy the rest of the podcast. Thank you so much again for making it a part of your day. And um, I will talk to you again on Wednesday after you hear the already recorded part of this show. Welcome back in on a Monday. It's the Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. Thank you for making the podcast a part of your day. A ton to get to today. And only a little time to do it. This is a short podcast kind of by design. And there was a ton that happened over the weekend. I don't know if you noticed, but we had a full slate of NFL and the Power 3 began play over the weekend. So we'll talk about all that. Uh, So far, no news on the Ole Miss front as of this recording I still have not seen or heard anything in regards to the waivers for two Ole Miss players that are uh, currently waiting to find out whether or not they can play this season and their first game is inside of two weeks uh, away. No news on that front. Otherwise, uh, no news is good news within the program. That means knock on wood, no injuries or anything like that. No real clarity on the quarterback battle either. And again, that's to be expected. I've told you uh, that uh, Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss should not reveal who the starting quarterback is until the team takes the field uh, against Florida. That's when you'll find out, or that's when you should find out who the starter is. I know Mike Leach, for example, pretty much named K.J. Costello the starter, but that's a very different circumstance. You knew that K.J. Costello went to Mississippi State to be the starting quarterback, and even though local media there tried to uh, you know, talk about it as if it was a real competition, it it never was, and... It's a complete, completely different story at Mississippi State. LSU knew Costello was going to be the starter the whole time. Florida, not so much, although there's been some information leaking out. You still, if you're Florida, have to prepare for both guys. So it's there's more incentive for Kiffin to keep him quiet than uh, it was for uh, Mike Leach, who, uh, again, did not. He basically named Costello the starter uh, over uh, over the weekend. So... No Ole Miss news, uh, just kind of waiting on those two transfer waivers. Uh, Nothing from camp. I think there's going to be a couple of media availabilities this week. So if anything comes out of that, of course, I will bring that to you here. But first, I want to remind you before we get into all of this, the podcast is brought to you by LB's just across from Kroger, University Avenue there in Oxford. It's the best place in Mississippi to get your meat. The weather is looking amazing this week uh, for those of us in central Mississippi and south, there is a, a hurricane coming. Uh, so if you're in the path, uh, please be safe and be careful. The rest of the state and beyond should have some pretty spectacular weather. So uh, get something to put behind the grill, maybe for tonight, for Monday night football, or uh, stop by and get one of their daily lunch specials. That's LB's just across from Kroger University Avenue. Stop by and tell Greg that we here at the Rebel Report and Super Talk sent you there. So college football this weekend, um, I know a lot, is, a lot of conversation has been centered around uh, the, the lack of fans, the no crowd, and what it means, and asking coaches, what's it, what's it going to be like? Is your team going to be able to uh, focus without a crowd or energy and all that conversation? From a viewer perspective, I don't know about you, but it felt fine to me. I mean, I said yesterday on, on the radio show that College football, the atmospheres are better than that of the NFL, most places. There's an exception in New Orleans and Kansas City. I think Minnesota has a great uh, football atmosphere. But I've been to a handful of NFL stadiums, and the atmospheres really suck 
compared to college football. There's just something about hearing a band and the tradition and the student sections and all the pageantry and all that extra stuff that comes with college football game that really makes it great. And so we did miss a little bit of that over the weekend, but I think ESPN, NBC, ABC, Fox Sports 1, everybody that put games on this weekend, I flipped through a lot of channels, they deserve a ton of credit because it felt good to me. It wasn't perfect. It was different, obviously, because the year's different. But from a viewership perspective, I actually really enjoyed the product. I think they did a good job of um, making you feel like you were watching a regular college football game. And it was a little bit easier, like at Notre Dame, they basically had the entire student body. That certainly helped their atmosphere some. They spread them out throughout the entire stadium. Iowa State was a little bit different. They only let pretty much players and, and coaches, family, and stuff like that into the stadium. They only had, they said, about 1,500 people. But on the other side of the stadium... They spread the band out across the entire thing. I thought that was a neat touch. But um, it was a little different, but I don't think um, we missed a whole lot. At least I didn't feel like I missed a whole lot uh, in terms of last year to this year from a viewer. I think the the broadcast networks did a really good job of putting the product on um, Saturday and Sunday. And I really enjoyed it. College game day was a little awkward. Uh, they had the mega desk, which was was kind of funny. Uh, the Lee Corso segments of him at his house in Orlando because they don't want um, somebody of that age uh, traveling. You know, it, it would be uh, much worse if Corso got coronavirus versus Kirk or anybody like that. So they, they kept him at his home in Orlando, and that stuff was was funny. And he had mascots like cleaning his pool in the background, and that was really cool. Um, setting it up on midfield uh, was a nice touch because the state of North Carolina doesn't let fans in the stands and they didn't want people congregating around them. So on the 50-yard line at Wake Forest was pretty cool. It was bizarre that the Wake Forest cheerleaders were standing behind the set not moving at all. Did did you notice that? it, It drove me nuts. I mean, they stood there for the entire show not doing anything. Like while the broadcast was going on, they were just standing there with their hands behind their backs like statues. It was weird. It was like something out of a horror movie. And Desmond Howard, I think, being on the broadcast was also, um, um, I know he's part of the show, and I guess there's nothing you can do about it, but when somebody on that same channel not long ago just roasted Nebraska for wanting to play a season and then sits on a desk in the middle of a college football field, talking about and breaking down games after he recently ripped up a school for wanting to play games. Um, just not a good look. I, I That, that kind of rubbed me the wrong... His reaction to Nebraska and the way he talked about Nebraska uh, on ESPN really rubbed me the wrong way. And then on top of that, um, laughing and cutting up and breaking down games uh, it was just odd to me. Um, I noticed that's something that I noticed, and I wasn't the only one. Um, I guess there's nothing they can do about it, but I don't think that was uh, very much uh, a good look uh, for ESPN. Otherwise, it was as good as it could have been, all things considered. But let's talk about the actual games themselves. And the storyline for the weekend, if you can believe it, actually, it's the most believable thing, considering how the year has gone. The Sun Belt is the story or was the story for the first big-time Saturday of college football. 
And it's not just because there were upsets. And like I've been telling you guys for a long time, like three weeks of podcasts now, week one underdogs are your play. And look at what happened again. There's something about this weird offseason that I think has leveled the playing field some, especially early in the season. But even with that being the case and the no fans in the stands and all that, I think the Sun Belt, at least the teams that beat Big 12 teams, it wasn't fluky. I mean, I think ULL matched up athletically with Iowa State. And yes, they won the game, but I mean, look, Ole Miss lost to Jacksonville State. You guys remember that. And Ole Miss had better athletes than Jacksonville State. It was just one of those games. Uh, to me, it wasn't one of those games. I, I really think that I that uh, ULL or Louisiana, as they will correct you, um, matched up with Iowa State. I thought Arkansas State was able to really match up with Kansas State, and then Kansas is a really a, a totally a totally different story as far as program and athletes and stuff like that. But um, the the Sun Belt they they didn't just have upsets. I think that they matched up, really matched up, especially Louisiana and Iowa State. I mean, ULL was able to line up and kind of run the football. They made Brock Purdy look pretty pedestrian, but that's the thing he he is pedestrian. I, the whole broadcast during the Iowa State-ULL game and a lot of conversation around Iowa State is centered on their quarterback and just, oh, he's a future NFL guy and, oh, look at all that talent. He's an NFL player and all this stuff. And I feel bad for the NFL team that drafts him. With all due respect to the to the kid, I don't mean to talk so negatively about a college kid, but... Whoever drafts Brock Purdy is in for a rude awakening. He's Mitch Trubisky 2.0. I raised this question yesterday, and I'm going to raise it to you as well. How many successful current NFL quarterbacks were not good in college? You could say Brady, but he did play at Michigan, although he wasn't great. But he did play at Michigan. Other than Brady, when you look at NFL quarterbacks, they all have something in common. They were pretty damn good in college. I mean... Drew Brees was good at Purdue. Russell Wilson was good at two places when he was a college quarterback. Lamar Jackson, obviously, Heisman Trophy winner. Ben Roethlisberger took Miami of Ohio to Iowa and beat them when he was a starting quarterback. Uh, the, the list goes on and on. I mean, Carson Wentz was a national championship winner even though it was at the FCS level. When you look at NFL quarterbacks, they've got one thing in common. I mean, I guess you could throw Josh Allen into the mix, although I wouldn't call him a successful NFL quarterback just yet. By and large, they were good in college. And for some reason, the NFL just at times ignores college production and looks at the way they throw route trees and shorts at combine workouts and ignore the fact that for example, Mitch Trubisky is not as productive and wasn't as good in college as Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. And Brock Purdy's going to be the next guy. He is going to be the next guy that gets overhyped, over-talked about, 
wasn't that good in college, wasn't a winner, didn't elevate his program any, gets drafted early, and isn't successful in the NFL. It's not an exact science. Of course not. And look at Kurt Warner and his path to the NFL. It was an unconventional one. So it's not perfect by any stretch, but when you just completely dismiss uh, college production for how they look in shorts, you get Mitch Trubisky. And you have teams that pass on him and or, or draft him and pass on Deshaun Watson and pass on Patrick Mahomes, and look at what you get. I think Brock Purdy's going to be the next guy. And then Matt Campbell seems to continue to always find his way on uh, in coaching search season, and I've raised the question on the radio show back in, I think it was January, why he always shows up on these coaching searches because he hasn't elevated Iowa State at all. I mean, he's been okay. They're going to bowl games every year. It's not an easy job, but you would think a guy that would always find his name on these coaching search lists and would only leave Iowa State for a select few jobs, and he's the next big-time college coach, you think he would elevate the program a little bit more. But, you know, I, I guess I'm just crazy. He's losing at home to ULL. Um, I think I probably nailed that one. But uh, anyway, no good, very bad day for the Big 12. Pretty embarrassing, honestly, because even with the exception of Texas and Oklahoma, who played teams that they were significantly better than, uh, the league across the board was pretty embarrassing. I mean, even they get a win from Texas Tech, and they gave up almost 600 yards through the air. Texas Tech almost, and I know almost doesn't count, but almost lost to Houston Baptist, the same Houston Baptist team that got smoked by North Texas last weekend. They gave up 567 yards through the air. And then Kansas got beat up at home by Coastal Carolina, uh, the Big 12, somebody should have told them that the season began. Or that was a weird way for them to tell us that they opted out of the season. I mean, my goodness, what an embarrassing day. We need to narrow it down to like the power two at this point because, uh, yikes, that is a rough look. But they're really the catalyst that kind of saved uh, the start of college football season for us. So at least we thank them for uh, deciding to embarrass themselves on a national level. Ooh, that's just brutal. Mentioned Notre Dame earlier. They got a um, a difficult win over Duke. It's uh, It certainly wasn't easy. And David Cutcliffe, as all of you guys know, is a, is a good football coach. Uh, he does have a Clemson transfer at quarterback who looks pretty good. Chase Bryce wasn't perfect. 20, 20 of 37. He had 260 yards passing. Um, his team wasn't as good as the one across the field. It's a little bit different when you're playing quarterback at Duke than when you're playing quarterback at Notre Dame. I did see a, a local radio host in my home state say that uh, Chase Bryce looked uh, as good as he did, uh, and that's a testament to the coaching he received at Clemson, uh, as if he is not currently being coached by a guy that um, had Eli Manning in college and Daniel Jones just got drafted in the first round. Like, it's all Clemson's, uh, to Clemson's credit, that Chase Bryce is a good player and not that he's being coached by David Cutcliffe and was also a high-level prospect coming out of high school. That was a bizarre hill to die on. But anyway, um, I saw some people suggest after the game that Notre Dame is uh, on a direct path 
to being undefeated or one loss, or, or having just one loss, and that would be to Clemson. Now it really pumped my brakes on that take because, yes, they did beat Duke, and it wasn't comfortable, but they did beat Duke in their season opener. But when I saw people on the the broadcast after the game saying, oh, Notre Dame's just going to get a win here, win here, win here, win here, win here, and they're just going to cruise all the way to the Clemson game. That's not what I saw. I saw an Ian Book that still isn't a great decision maker and not exactly all that talented to begin with, and a team that really struggled to match up with Duke at times. I mean, they ran the football well on Duke for the most part, but I don't know what anybody else saw. I guess I'm completely missing it because I did not see a Notre Dame team that's ready to compete for a national title the way some people suggested after that game. I don't see that at all. Uh, In in fact, I think we learned less about Notre Dame uh, than people are, are trying to claim. I mean, they've got Louisville on the schedule. They've got, well, Florida State. They've got Georgia Tech on the schedule. Wake Forest wasn't terrible. Uh, on Saturday night, even though, yeah, Clemson blew them out. But let's have some perspective here. To just pretend after watching that, that Notre Dame's just going to run the table, I think is uh, uh, is really bizarre. And that's how they end up on these top 25 rankings and stuff all the time. For some reason, the gold helmet just has people projecting them way better uh, than they actually are. And here we go yet again, another case of that. Speaking of Florida State, as I run through some of these important games here, uh, tell me if you saw the same thing. Very clearly a team that was not bought into their head coach. That's what I saw. Because even though Florida State is still an embarrassment up front on the offensive line, that is a football team that, to my eyes, had more talent than that of their opponent in Georgia Tech. But the difference to me was one team was bought in to their philosophy, bought into their coach, and played as hard as they possibly could. And Florida State looked to me like a team that was disengaged, not bought in, didn't care. And that makes sense considering what has happened this offseason. I think, again, based on what I saw, Mike Norvell has already lost his football team, and he's got to work his tail off to find a way to get them back. And how could you not lose your team considering what he did this offseason? I mean, the first thing... If you remember, he just straight up lied about talking to his players uh, individually. He he said he spoke to every player individually about social justice issues and stuff like that. And his own players called him out on that because he just simply just lied about that. Just lied. Outright lied about it. And then there was a report, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, that said that uh, Florida State players who came out uh, about this as well were being told to uh, lie about COVID-positive tests or symptoms. And then they go out and play like that. Kind of feels like that was a football team that doesn't believe in their head coach already. Uh, and that's that's what I saw. Uh, I still think Jimbo Fisher in part is to, to blame with just how bad of a shape his offensive line was in. Don't forget, Willie Taggart was only able to recruit one full class he had a transition year and then one class before they canned him. Um, that's that. That's tough to just rebuild an offensive line in one recruiting cycle. I mean, it's not like Taggart was perfect or not to blame or anything like that. There's a reason he did get fired. However, I think Jimbo Fisher does not get enough um, criticism for the way he left that program. 
and now they have a coach that um, can't get his guys to play for him. Because that is what I saw. Maybe that's that's a little hot takey that oh they, you know they, their hearts weren't in, weren't in it or whatever. Because how do you quantify that, right? I mean, you can say that quarterback didn't throw the ball well because he had ten overthrows and two interceptions or something like that. You can put a number behind it. I can't quantify what I saw, but I think that's what I saw, and I have a feeling that a lot of you probably saw the same thing. Not much in terms of other results. Uh, I guess North Carolina. Uh, was able to find a way to pull away from Syracuse late in that game. Phil Longo's offense looked horrible, but at least he uh, has learned what a tight end is. In the red zone, too. I mean, how about that, right? Uh, Phil Longo, he's evolving. He learned what a tight end was, also used him in the red zone. I mean, imagine if he knew what a tight end was and knew how to use them in the red zone when he was at Ole Miss. Maybe Dawson Knox, who's currently starting in the NFL, Uh, Maybe he would have had, um, I don't know, a touchdown reception in his college career. But uh, I guess maybe that was too much to ask uh, at the time. Outside of that, uh, nothing else really noteworthy over the weekend. Clemson is still Clemson. Trevor Lawrence is still very, very good. So is Travis Etienne and really that entire football team. Wake Forest just simply overmatched. But uh, that's about it from the games themselves. But then this story. And I find it so funny now the way this is being covered and the rhetoric around this as opposed to when the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 decided to play. So the Big 10 is going to revote, And despite what Stuart Mandel said on Twitter, Dan Patrick got this exactly right. And if Dan Patrick says something, you should probably believe it. He's one of the best in the business. He's got uh, connections all around the sports world. And he got... Uh, the Big Ten canceling their season correct. He got the Pac-12 following the cancellation of their season correct. And he also got this revote correct. But somebody's trying to sell subscriptions by calling him out online. Anyway, that was a little bit of a sidebar. I just I found it so funny that um, somebody was trying to discredit Dan Patrick and then turning it into trying to sell subscriptions. Anyway. Uh, but the way this is covered, the Big Ten's revote, the uh, the tone around it is is very interesting. It's almost like it's changing somewhat. But here is a story from ESPN, Adam Rittenberg and Heather Dinich. Uh, this came out on Saturday. The Big Ten's Council of Presidents and Chancellors will meet on Sunday to review the latest medical information and vote again on when the fall football season can begin. Now, that uh, that meeting did happen. Apparently, it went very, very well. They did not hold a vote yesterday but it sounds like they're going to hold one this week, and the tone has changed around it somewhat. Now it still may not pass, but there is a possibility of there being some uh, switched votes when it comes to this. And uh, the same people that uh, have just praised the Big Ten, oh, they're doing the right thing. They're looking out for player safety. A USA Today column Uh, said that the Big Ten parents that were protesting in favor of their kids playing were being bad parents. Um, You don't get that suddenly with this Big Ten vote. You don't get it at all. And if they decide to play, it's because they're wanting to save face and nothing more. Nothing has changed at all from August to now. Or nothing is so different that it dramatically changes the fact that you can play the season or not. When Kevin War- when they canceled the season back in August, Kevin Warren said that cases and numbers were going up. And 
I told you then, and I'll tell you now, that was obviously a lie. They continue to go down. It was just dead wrong. But um, that heart condition that they've been talking about, uh, nothing new has been learned about that. The one that, that was the reason why they canceled their season. Nothing new has been learned about that. If uh, certain doctors who now people are making fun of because he uses Twitter and uh, is a conservative, um, and so he's immediately discredited because he, he leans to the right politically. That that means his medical opinion is uh, null and void. Um, if you just listen to those kind of people, experts in heart disease right away, um, that's why the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 are comfortable pushing forward. And nothing has changed about that. This is a save face. The Big 10 thought when they canceled the season that everybody was going to follow. And they did not expect... One, only the Pac-12 to do it, and everybody else to hold firm, and them to get backlash. They didn't expect it, and so when they got it, they hit scramble mode, and now they're going to try to play the season. Nothing scientifically at all has changed. It's a save face. It's a realization that they screwed up. They didn't expect the backlash. They expected everybody to follow. They're now realizing they're not near as powerful as they thought, and they're also realizing that not playing the football season is going to cost their schools and their towns Tens of millions of dollars apiece, and people are going to lose their jobs, and they're going to cut programs, and they're going to cut scholarships, and they're going to cut jobs, and restaurants and businesses are going to close. They, they, I guess, somehow are finally realizing that nobody wanted to follow their lead at all, and they did. It's an about face. It's saving face. It is exclusively that. Because when, when they talk science and they finger point to science, nothing has changed. Nothing. At all. They're going to lie and say it has, but no, it's not. They're just realizing how big of a mistake they made. They didn't expect the backlash. They expected the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 to follow. That is it. And so... You're going to have these national people that are that, that have been clearly just fed information from the Big Ten side of things um, try to spin it because they do the conferences bidding. They've always been doing the conferences bidding. That's why they've been going after the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 and just praising the Big Ten even though uh, they've been a disaster. Um, their tone is going to be different if the Big Ten decides to play. They're going to spin the narrative, which is what they've done all year, and it's hilarious to me, to see that happen. Because it's so very transparent. They looked down on the SEC as those dumb and ignorant rednecks and called the Big Ten parents that wanted to play bad parents and questioned uh, the head of the ACC's medical team, who is an infectious disease doctor from Duke University, who uh, did his initial studies at Melbourne, or the University of Melbourne, because he's Australian, uh, claiming that he's politically motivated and he's saving football season because Trump. Um, that kind of narrative will not be applied to the Big Ten. It, it won't. I mean, I can guarantee you that. It is so transparent, and you're going to see it. Watch. It's already happening. The way this Big Ten revote's being covered is different than when the SEC and the ACC decided to play. It is being covered differently. The The narrative around it is different. The tone around it is different. And I hope you can I see right through it. And I imagine all of you see right through it as well. The way the SEC was covered is a joke. National college football media is insufferable sometimes. 
and this is why. And they wonder why people are just convinced that they're rooting against the sport. Well, when you cover it this way, you make it seem like you don't even freaking like it. And they're getting exposed for it now. All right, let's turn the page to the other set of football that happened this weekend, the NFL. It was a huge day on Sunday. Going into the day, not a single positive test around the league. Not one. They tested every player and coach. Not one of them was positive. That was a really exciting thing. The games themselves were pretty good as well. But I do want to start with this. So, I know there's been a lot of contention around political messaging and stuff like that when it comes to the NFL. And there are a lot of people that... Um, claim that they're done forever and they've been fans forever and they're done. And if that's you, that's okay, honestly. I mean, I'm not going to tell you how to feel or what to watch. This is a free country. If you don't want to watch the NFL, by all means, don't. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong or dumb or anything like that. You should do with your free time whatever you would like to do with your free time and nothing more. Uh, This is a free country. You should be allowed to do what you want. But when you follow... A sports commentator, me, on Twitter, and I am tweeting commentary about the NFL, you don't have to tell me you're not watching. And you don't have to tell me that they should be banned from this country because that's definitely um, very American uh, to think that people should be banned for this country for um, not breaking any laws. But you don't have to tell me. Because I don't care. Nobody that's watching the NFL cares if you don't. And it's just annoying. So if you really aren't watching in, in, in protest or whatever, that's fine, man. But you don't have to at the sports guy on Twitter about it. Because it's just petty and annoying. And if you really have found something better to do with your time, go do it. Because getting into people's mentions on the internet about how you're not watching and they should be banned from this country only makes you look like an idiot. So just go off and and just do whatever else you're choosing to do on Sunday. But I don't care if you're not. That's fine. I don't care. You don't have to repeatedly get into my mentions to tell me you don't care. When you follow a sports commentator on Twitter, you should expect them to commentate on sports. So just don't follow if you want to see people talking about the NFL. That's my little soapbox. I'm getting off of that right now. I promise. All right. The game of the day, the game of the weekend, Saints and Bucks. And of course, no matter what the outcome was going to be from this game, no matter what the outcome, you are going to get the Brady hot take. And you're getting it today. Oh, Tom Brady's done. He was a system quarterback. Belichick's smiling today. All all that stuff. And uh, you knew it was coming. It was the most predictable thing ever. I mean, he threw two interceptions, both of which his coach told you. Both of which were his fault. And that's okay. People are making a big deal out of that. That I mean, Tom Brady's a six-time Super Bowl, Super Bowl winning veteran. He's not getting thrown under the bus. His coach is just telling the truth. Um, but last night's game means nothing about whether or not the Bucks are going to be good and successful, whether or not Brady still has it, whether or not they're going to win. It doesn't mean anything at all. It was his first game without any preseason in a weird year with COVID and all that good stuff, um, playing against a really good team. 
I mean, the the take after this game was, oh, Brady was terrible. Um, did any did it occur to anyone that he was playing one of the best teams in the NFL? I mean, is it okay that his season opener uh, doesn't go perfectly when he's on the road, even though there's no fans, but on the road at one of the best teams in the NFL? Why? I know why. But suddenly a line has to be drawn in the sand of Brady's a bum, he's terrible, he doesn't have it, Belichick's laughing, all that stuff. One game against one of the best teams in the league. It's one game. Again, against one of the best teams in the NFL. One game. Against one of the best teams in the league, uh, who's got a really good defensive line, a healthy linebacking core, a great secondary. I mean, Marshawn Lattimore just absolutely owned yet again Mike Evans. Owned him, and he's done it for years now. It's just suddenly, <laughs> suddenly Brady's a bum because he goes and loses to New Orleans in his first game with a new team. Suddenly he's a bum. Uh, that arm is still live. I saw some activity on that thing yesterday he's going to be fine the Bucks are going to be fine it, he's not out of a great system and into a bad one I mean he's got a great coach with a good receiving core and a good running back uh, group of running backs although Fournette uh, is not as good as Ronald Jones and Jones needs to get the vast majority of the carries moving forward as I suspect he will but man the overreaction to the outcome of this game is just so stupid He's not, he's not a bum. He's not done. And Belichick, he's not nothing without Belichick. They're going to win a ton of games. He's going to be fine. He's going to throw for a bunch of yards. They just opened their season against one of the best teams in the NFL that returned basically everybody, including an entirely healthy defensive front that they wouldn't really trade anybody in the NFL for. I mean, who would the Saints trade their front seven for in the league? You'd rather have Aaron Donald, but I think the Saints are better across the board in the front seven than the Rams. I don't know of anybody else in the league. You could throw Kansas City in there. That's probably it. The overreaction is just ridiculous. Um, nobody's really talking about the way Drew Brees looked. Uh, I mean, he had one really nice, deep sideline throw to Jared Cook. But man, that arm just seems dead. Uh, maybe they were being conservative yesterday. Uh, maybe Tampa just did really... A really good job in the secondary of covering receivers, but the timing was off, and man, they just, he didn't even test Tampa Bay downfield at all. That was um, a bit of a concern, but a really nice win for the Saints uh, to open the season, of course, and huge overreaction to what you saw with, um, with Tom Brady and his performance. Huge overreaction. Elsewhere in the league, uh, things that stood out to me, Cam Newton was special. I... I find myself um, enjoying watching Cam Newton play. And I've always liked him. I know people don't like him, but I have a semi-personal story about this. So my sister uh, used to work with special needs children in, in Charlotte, at a school there in Charlotte. And Cam Newton showed up to her school one day. And, I mean, you would think, you know, NFL quarterback, guy that always dresses the way he does. Um, These the special needs children are, are loving on him and hugging him and, and climbing all over him and stuff like that. And, and you would have thought that he was, according to her, you would have thought he was having the best day of his life. I mean, apparently he was just wonderful. 
and so happy and engaging and just loved these kids uh, like they were his own, basically. And ever since then, I've been a huge fan of Cam Newton, and so is my sister, who's a big football fan. But after she described the way he interacted uh, with a group of uh, special needs kids at her school and the the way he was just went out of his way. It wasn't part of a program or anything, just went out of his way to go visit with these kids at a local school in Charlotte. I've always been a big fan of his. Um, I think he gets a bad rap. People think he's a bad dude behind the scenes or something like that. But, I mean, my sister witnessed it, and and I've been a fan ever since. But he was, he looks healthy. The arm looks good. They used him in the run game really well. And I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what he's able to do because a healthy Cam Newton is really, really fun to watch. And really underrated, uh, if you can believe it, as a quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion. So uh, they used him creatively. He looked healthy. He looked good. Looked like he was having fun. Uh, I enjoyed that yesterday, uh, for what that's worth. Uh, Elsewhere in the league, you had a really nice comeback for the Washington football team over Philly. Philly, the most overrated team in the league, in my opinion. Um, Mississippi's Gardner Minshew uh, led... A comeback over the Colts. It was an early comeback, but still let a comeback over the Colts. And uh, the tank for Trevor Train is uh, getting derailed. Gardner Minshew said, not today, sir. Um, And then Joe Burrow. So it wasn't perfect because he's a rookie. But Joe Burrow is going to be a good NFL quarterback. And that's if that's what he's going to look like, in week one as a rookie in the NFL. It's the same thing with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I'm going to have the exact same take. Joe Burrow and his production cannot be replicated. He was special. And when you have people that cover LSU that are saying, Miles Brennan's just going to step right in and they're not going to miss a beat, how can you watch Joe Burrow yesterday and tell me that LSU... Whoever's playing quarterback is not going to miss a beat, and they're going to be just as productive. They're in for a rude awakening, man. Burrow is special. He showed you yesterday why he's special. And it's another example, among many, of why LSU is going to regress back to the mean this year. That's a four-loss team. Because what I saw yesterday, they don't have on their roster anymore. Yeah. The the new guy's just going to... Follow in his footsteps, they say. Oh, he's just like Joe Burrow. They believe in him just like they did Burrow. No, he doesn't have that. That's special. Joe Burrow is special. Uh, They don't have that at all. Cowboys lost last night a bad offensive pass interference call that would have put them in field goal range to tie the game up. But uh, when you're down three early in the fourth quarter and you're in easy chip shot field goal range and it's fourth and three, why don't you take the points? So, um don't have too much sympathy for Dallas there, although it was a really bad call. Really bad call. Um, there's still just no reason uh, to not take those points there. So that loss is kind of on Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys. Uh, offense not creative enough to win games in the NFL at all. Um, Kellen Moore needs to open it up or McCarthy's going to take over soon. That's just that's not going to get it done. That's not winning the division. That's not making it to the playoffs uh, at all. Really nice win for Arizona uh, over San Francisco. Kyler Murray um, and Cliff Kingsbury deserves a lot of credit uh, for how he's been so far. Ignore the record last year. Watch the team itself. They were really fun and uh, got a big win yesterday over San Francisco. 
Uh, Aaron Rodgers is showing everybody why he should not have been, or his heir apparent should not have been drafted as early as he was. They should have given him a wide receiver because you could win another Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Picking Jordan Love when they did still doesn't make any sense, and he's out there to prove it. Uh, What else? The Buffalo Bills uh, looked okay. Josh Allen is just okay. The Jets are an embarrassment. Uh, The Falcons are the best bad team in the NFL, and that's a quote from PFT commenter, and he's exactly right. They are the best bad team in the NFL. Talented. Matt Ryan threw for 450 yards, and it felt like they were never really in it. That's just kind of the Falcons in a nutshell. DeAndre Swift dropped the game-winning touchdown in the Lions lost to the Bears after having a big lead early, gave up 21 fourth-quarter points uh, to lose to the Bears yesterday. That was terrible. A couple games tonight, of course, Steelers-Giants and Titans-Broncos is the nightcap for your Monday night football games. 9-10 Central Time start for that Titans game. So there's your wrap around the NFL. Uh, I got to... Stick to my time constraints. I I don't like going over too much, so I'm going to end it right here. Thank you so much for making the podcast a part of your day. I always appreciate every single one of you for tuning in, rating, and subscribing to the podcast. Follow me on Twitter, at Michael Borky. Again, thank you for making the podcast a part of your day. Stop by LB's. Go see Greg. Tell him we sent you, and I will talk to you again on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.